yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Within the beginning studies of Jude's epistle, I pointed out at that time to you seven major divisions within this epistle, which we've reviewed many times throughout the study. The first, of course, is Jude's greeting in verses 1 and 2. The second is Jude's purpose in verses 3 and 4. Then third is Jude's warnings in verses 5 through 7. Fourth is Jude's woe in verses 8 through 13. Fifth is Jude's reminder in verses 14 through 16. Sixth is Jude's exhortation in verses 17 through 23, which is where we are and continue to be tonight. And then seventh is Jude's doxology in verses 24 and 25 in concluding the epistle. A few weeks ago, we began our study of the sixth division in which Jude began the exhortation with a charge for the reader to remember in verses 17 through 19. And within verses 17 18 and 19, Jude reminds the reader of the apostles' warning concerning these wicked men who would pervert the grace of God, deceiving many people. Last week, we examined Jude's exhortation to the reader in verse 20, in which he says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I told you last week that all the second personal pronouns, ye, yourselves, and your, which are used by Jude in this verse, are plural in number. Jude is exhorting each of these individuals collectively to build each other up. In other words, though he speaks to individuals, he's speaking to the entirety of the readers, and and it's the body to which he speaks, or the believers to which he speaks as a whole. And so he speaks to them to individually do so, but to do so collectively as the whole. The verb building in building up is in the present tense, which portrays, as I told you, an action in process or a state of being in which there is no assessment of the action's completion. In other words, it's an ongoing action. It's something that is already in process, and it's something that is continuing, and there's no no end in sight. There's no completion of this. It's going to be continued to be done. So edification, as we understand, is not simply encouraging one another, but it is literally building each other up in the faith. And such a spiritual task can only be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. If you notice again, verse 20, but ye, beloved, now this is in contrast to what he stated previously, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So when he says praying in the Holy Ghost, of course, he is saying that we are relying upon, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. We are praying in the Holy Ghost and we are edifying one another, building each other up as we are dependent upon the Spirit of God to do the work in and through us. So tonight, as we consider verse 21 of this epistle, we must remember that in verses 20 through 23, Jude's exhortation is given, as I mentioned, in contrast to the ungodly men of whom he has written, not only throughout this epistle, but specifically in verses 17 through 19 in relation to what he states now in verse twenty, in verses 20 and 21. So let's go back to verse 17 and read verses 17, 18, and 19 again. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken. So here's the reminder. He's saying, remember the words that were spoken. He says, before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
how that they told you, the apostles told you, there would be mockers or should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Jude then exhorts the reader by contrasting the distinct difference between those who do not have the Spirit and those who are dependent upon the Spirit. Again, verse 20, he goes on to say, but ye beloved. Now, he said, but beloved in verse 17, did he not? And here he's addressing the beloved concerning being reminded and, and remembering the words of the apostles concerning the mockers, concerning these ungodly men of which he has warned and spoken woe against and given examples and illustrations of from verse 4 following to this point. But notice, he now again uses this conjunction, but, in verse 20, but ye, beloved, in contrast to these others, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And the conjunction, but, used by Jude, is what is referred to, and I've mentioned this to you before in other passages, as a logical, contrastive conjunction. This means that it is a conjunction that is used to suggest an oppositional thought or oppositional relationship to a word, phrase, or statement to which it is connected. And in this case, of course, it's that which is previously stated. In other words, Jude is saying that the lives and actions of those who are dependent upon the Holy Spirit, those who are praying in the Holy Spirit, that their actions and lives those who are dependent upon the Holy Spirit, will be opposite of those who walk according to their flesh, having not the Spirit. If you remember back in verse 19, these be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. They are basing their lives, seeking after that which appeals and pleases their senses, apart from the Spirit of God. But then again, verse 20, you, but you, beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So this is an opposition. This is opposite to the actions of those who are sensual, having not the Spirit, walking in their own sinful, fleshly, lustful desires, contrasted now with those who are praying in the Holy Ghost. Jude further exhorted the reader now in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Jude continues to point out this contrast between those who have not the Spirit with those who live dependent upon the Spirit within this verse. One of the responsibilities within the believer's life is to guard himself, that he remains steadfast, that he remains faithful and grounded in the Lord and in his truth. Jude stated, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, the verb keep used in this verse means observe. And this is an interesting term used by Jude. For to, to observe is to perceive, it is to discern, it is to watch. So Jude is exhorting the reader to first perceive with discernment that you are in God's love and to watch yourselves as those who are in the love of God. Spence Jones commented, the soul's one asylum and retreat is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The only retreat, the only asylum that we have, he is saying, is the love of God which is in Jesus Christ. 
It's no wonder that Jude would exhort in saying, keep yourselves, observe, watch yourselves in the love of God. Now, he didn't say you place yourself in God's love. He doesn't even say that you are the one who sustains yourself in God's love. When he says keep here, he is saying that you are to first perceive the truth that you are in God's love, and because you are in God's love, you are also now to watch yourself within that love, to be on guard, to be observant concerning your life within this love. In contrast to, remember, all of this is in contrast to what has already been stated. Back to verse 20, when he says, but ye beloved. And notice at the end it says, praying in the Holy Ghost, comma, keep yourselves in the love of God. So this is still a continual statement he is making. And in doing so, he is contrasting the beloved praying in the Holy Ghost with those in verse 19 who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. They are not in God's love, you are in God's love. Guard yourselves, watch yourselves, that you remain as those who've been redeemed within the love of God, acting accordingly. Remember, Paul stated that we are to, as you have received the, as you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk ye in Him. What is he saying? He's saying live according to the same manner in which you received Christ. Really, Jude is somewhat saying the same thing. Keep yourselves in the love of God. But ye beloved, you are in the love of God. Observe and watch and guard that you act accordingly, that you live accordingly. And then he goes on to say, of course, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So Jude stated, keep yourselves in the love of God which again means observe. And as we will further discover in the last verses of this epistle, and I obviously as well have previously pointed this out to you within our first studies of the epistle, we find both the human responsibility of the believer to appropriate God's divine provision, which is the divine aspect of this, of course. So look at verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. But now look at verses 24 and 25. And I pointed this out to you before. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. So here, of course, we see within this text, there is this command that we are to observe and watch and guard ourselves concerning the love of God in which we are in. But then... Just verses later, Jude concludes the entire epistle with this doxology of stating, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, he that is able to present you faultless, to him be glory. So what is he saying? He's saying not that you can keep yourself faultless and blameless, but that God is faithful and able alone to do this. But yet we still have the responsibility to appropriate the provision that God has made for us in Christ, that we guard ourselves, that we be conscious, that we be aware, that we be watchful concerning this salvation that we've been given. We found another example of the interaction of this human responsibility and divine provision of God in Paul's epistle to the Philippians. And we've studied this in quite in some depth in weeks past. But in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, wherefore, Paul writes, listen to the, listen to the conversation here, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
Wait, well, God's working in me, but I'm to work out. Yes, we are to be responding to the working of God within us. And we are to be living out that which God has worked in. We are to be working out that which God has worked in. We are to be living out that which God has lived within us in the person of Christ, in the Holy Spirit. And so here you find that Jude is saying something very similar here. Keep yourselves in the love of God. But then he explains in the next verses, for it is God who's able to keep you. It is God who's able to present you faultless and blameless before him. So Jude references not only our hope to which we look, but also the means that we are to appropriate which God has provided for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look first of all as we consider when Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Let's first look at our hope or our confidence, which Jude references. We are to watch ourselves within God's love with the confidence that the Lord Jesus will return and receive us unto himself in eternal life. There's a tremendous example of the truth we find in Jude verse 21 within John's gospel record as our Lord spoke to his disciples. In John 13, 36 through 14, 3, and let me just mention this as well. I believe it's a great disservice to the to the context of John 14, 1, to ever read it apart from the previous chapter, or at least the ending of the previous chapter, in light of the entire chapter in truth, but at least the previous verses within chapter 13, because if you do so, you are isolating a phenomenal truth of the grace and mercy of Christ that is being extended and taught to the disciples at that moment in time. So let's read chapter 13, verse 36. But actually, let's read chapter 14, verse 1, in case you're not remembering that passage of Scripture. Remember John 14, 1? Let not your heart be troubled. Remember, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe God, believe also in me. And to just read that one verse, or even verses 1 through 6 of chapter 14, and not understand the context the immediate context of the passage is for you to really overlook the truth of what Jesus is stating in this entire statement of chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let's go back to 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? Now notice what Peter says, I will lay down my life for thy sake. Now let's stop for a moment and consider something. Historically, traditionally, we are told that what happened to Peter? He was crucified. History records or states that Peter was crucified upside down because he refused, to, he, he, he did not want to be crucified as was our Lord not feeling worthy to do so, to die in such a death. But yet, we, we are we are told historically, the, the account has been given that Peter was martyred for the faith. Upside down, he died, of course, crucified, as, the, as history would state. However, at this point when Peter says, I will lay down my life for thy sake, we know that ultimately Peter was martyred, as we are told. But yet, at this moment in time when Peter makes this statement, do you believe that Peter is serious about the statement he makes? Well, I believe so, and I think you find that evident in his life in the end. But yet, notice what our Lord says here. Verse 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Now here the Lord is saying, Peter, you're claiming you're going to do something that you're not going to do. At least not at this time. Look at what he goes on to say. 
Verily, verily, truly, truly, surely, surely, the Lord says, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. So here's Peter. Peter's saying, okay, Lord, I want to follow you. And the Lord says, you cannot follow me now. And what is the Lord doing? He's preparing his disciples for his departure, and they don't understand this. Remember, it's the Lord who also told the disciples, it's expedient for you that I leave or go away. And now, the word expedient means beneficial or necessary. And so it's funny when we think of that, because if we were the disciples, we as they would have said, Lord, it is not good for you to leave us. <laughs> How can we possibly benefit for when you depart from us? But Jesus explains to them the reason it was beneficial is because he was going to send the Comforter. Now, we know as long as Jesus was here, His spirit was within himself, within Christ, of course. When Jesus departed and went to the Father, he then sent the Comforter, his spirit, to dwell in every believer, not just to be within one man, which was Christ himself. And so it was beneficial and necessary that Jesus depart. But here, while Jesus is preparing his disciples, he's washed in chapter 13, he has washed his feet. The scripture says he loved them unto the end. He has served them. He says, as I have served you, so also serve serve each other because if the master humbles himself to serve then should you not or is the servant greater than the master and then it comes to this discourse in which Jesus says uh, to them I'm going to depart I'm going to leave you and and of course they said oh Lord we'll follow you wherever you go and Peter says I will follow you to the death and and what a rebuke from our Lord when he says to Peter Peter will you die for me Will you really lay down your life for my sake? Surely, surely, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Look at the next verse. Let not your heart be troubled. That is an amazing statement by our Lord here. Peter's saying, Lord, I will die for you. I commit to you. I will lay down my life for you. And the Lord says, no, not at this time you won't. You're going to deny me three times, Peter. But you know what? Don't let your heart be troubled. And notice what else he says. You believe in God, believe also in me. He didn't say simply have a belief that I am or I exist. No, he's saying you trust in in God, you trust in the Father, trust in me. And really, in a sense, what he's saying to Peter Let's go on and read verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. In other words, there's a place for you. He's saying, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Let's look back at our text in Jude now and see how this is tying in. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. So while Peter here in in John's gospel promised to be faithful to the Lord unto death, the Lord is saying to Peter, I can't trust you. Peter says, "I, I, I vow I will die. I will go to the death for you. And the Lord says to Peter, you make all these promises, Peter, but I can't trust you. You have all this ambition, Peter, but I cannot trust you. But yet the Lord is declaring to Peter, though I cannot trust you, Peter, you can trust me. I'll be faithful to that which I claim. I'll be faithful to that which I declare. 
Furthermore, Jesus attached this promise to the statement of his trustworthiness. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in me as you believe in the Father. For I and the Father are one. This statement which our Lord makes, he attaches the promise When he says, let not your heart be troubled, ye believe in God, believe also in me. In verse 3, he says, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. It is this promise of our Lord that gives the confidence and also fuels the desire for us to be watchful of ourselves as we appropriate or anticipate our Lord's return, appropriating his provision, and knowing that he will make all things right and receive us unto himself, unto eternal life. This is the promise. So he's saying, Jude is saying, if you look back in Jude, in verse 21, keep yourselves in love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The Lord has promised that he will return, he will receive us unto himself, unto eternal life. So, of course, this provides tremendous confidence. We anticipate our Lord's return. And if we truly are anticipating his return, remember what John said in his epistle. He that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself even as he is pure. What is he saying? He's saying those who are anticipating his return because he dwells within them, they possess his promises, are also going to therefore submit to him and his purity is going to be seen in their lives keeping yourselves in the love of God. You're not putting God's love in you. You're in God's love. So therefore, watch, be watchful and guard yourselves accordingly, anticipating his return. Second, not only do we see the confidence or hope, but also the means provided for us to keep or watch ourselves in the love of God. As we anticipate our Lord's return, we are depending upon the mercy of Christ by which we will realize the truth of this eternal life which has been provided by God for us in Jesus Christ. Now, I already have eternal life, but I've not realized eternal life yet. If you're born again, you have eternal life, but you've not realized that. You have the righteousness of Jesus, but you've not fully realized that yet. You have the promise of heaven, but yet you've not fully realized that. You have the promise of being delivered from this body of death, but you've not realized that yet, and neither have I. It does not negate the promise at all. It's just we've not realized the promise yet in its fullness by any stretch of the imagination. But yet, surely it is this hope and confidence of this promise. This is the means provided for us to keep our watch, the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the wording here again in verse 20. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy, anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Notice what he is saying here again. Keep yourselves in the love of God, recognizing it is only by the mercy of Christ that you will receive eternal life. So while you are even diligent in guarding and watching, the eternal life does not come based on your merit. It comes based upon the mercy of Christ, upon whom we are totally dependent. So we are to be watchful. We are to be intentional in, imp- in appropriating God's provision which he has given in our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is God who will perfect this work which he has begun. And yet, he calls us as recipients of this mercy and grace to also be participants in this work that he is doing. 
We are recipients, but because he's made us recipients, we are now participants. How are we participants? Well, first of all, we are participants in submitting to he who has redeemed us that this work is being progressively accomplished in our lives as we move through time. But second, we also are participants in that we are the stewards of the gospel which has transformed us. Hence, we go back to verse 3. I wanted to write about, to you about this common salvation, but yet it was needful that I write unto you concerning the fact that you earnestly contend for the faith. To keep yourselves. What does that mean? It means that we are to be observant. We are to be on guard. We are to be watchful. Because we know we will receive eternal life and that the Lord is going to return. And we are anticipating. We know this promise. We are confident in this promise. And so we are anticipating that day. I have wonderful news to tell you. But then there's a hint of bad news that will follow. Just a hint in comparison. The good news is this. There are absolutely better days ahead. No question about that. Here's the hint of the bad news. It's just not going to be here. So there is a bright future, and it's called eternity. (laughs) But this is always going to be a dim world in which we live. (laughs) So keep yourselves, watch yourselves in this love of God. Resting in He who is able to keep you and present you faultless. He who is able to present you blameless. He who is able to present present you pure and holy before Him according to that eternal power that works within. Keep yourselves while you are resting in He alone who is able to keep you. (laughs) Work out that which God has worked in. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you.